Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter through television set, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch its streaming video from anywhere in the world. And hey, our streaming video uh, capabilities has really improved, so we think we can handle maybe upwards of a thousand people now, anywhere in the world to watch without all the buffering and clicking and everything else. It should be clearer and clearer, so please keep trying as we improve that part of uh, our ministry and we'll make a deal with you. You keep telling your friends in your neighborhoods, in your states, in your countries to watch Heart of the Matter and we'll keep trying to provide you with the most informative uh, programs that we can on Mormonism uh, at, in comparison to biblical Christianity. I was a born-again Mormon. We're on back order getting it printed in hard copy, but as we've been saying, it's available now in a PDF form. You can go to www.hotm.tv, that's heartofthematter.tv, and you can have the book in your hand within minutes. So please listen up closely now. This is very important. We're in the process of creating a uh, very unique television program, a program that's gonna reach out to teens who have been influenced by this postmodern world. And on Saturday, August 1st at 8 a.m., we're meeting at West High School in North Salt Lake City to film the show's opener. The opener is the thing that you see here, the Johnny Cash singing, the railroad, all that. That's gonna be the opener of the show after we get that uh, edited and everything else. It will play every single week that the show is on the air, and we hope it will be on for years and years. So if you come to the high school, maybe you'll have your chance to be uh, seen by all your friends over and over. Whatever it is, whatever motivates you, we would love to invite you. Um, we must have a couple hundred teenagers on site at that time, and that's why we're pushing it. So, and we need um, <clears throat> this show opener to really look right. So please, if you're a teenager, uh, or if you want to get rid of your teenager, or you own a teenager, uh, or you love your teenager to death, grab them, drive them down, have them tell their friends. We're asking them all to dress in black, white, gray, or a combination of those uh, colors, and to come as they are in their personality. If they're uh, an athlete, to come as an athlete. If they're a, uh, a punk 
person, they come as a punk, whatever they are to come in that persona, because we're looking for all types to be represented in this opening, please go to www.graygeneration.tv. Gray is G-R-E-Y generation.tv for more information. Saturday, August 1st, 8 a.m. We'll provide lunch, you provide yourself. Mark your calendars, friends, for Burning Heart 09, the Big Tent Revival. Coming up, uh, bands include Adams Road from Florida and Jeremiah's Fire here locally, as well as some other bands. Uh, we're going to have box, lunch, box lunches available from uh, Subway Sandwiches, cotton candy popcorn, big inflated slides for the kids, booths from other churches and ministries for the adults, a baptism pool for people who want to be baptized, Saturday, September 5th. Sugar House Park from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Everybody but disruptors and people dressed like Indians are welcome. Uh, we're going to worship, we're going to gather, we're going to meet and greet, and we're going to say goodbye to summer together. This is an outreach to the lost. If you don't and can't say that you have been born again by uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you know he is your personal savior, then we really want you to come and we're going to have a big tent meeting inside. It's going to be a great time Saturday, September 5th, 5 to 8 p.m. Last week, <clears throat> maybe uh, 10 days ago, I received an email. Still behind on those, but I received a really nice email. And today when I got to the station, there was this nice young man who actually wrote the email. And just out of the blue, I just thought it would be important for him to come on and briefly share uh, what happened in his life. This is Ryan Bullock. Ryan, welcome, Thanks. my brother. Thanks. And um, have at it. Tell us what uh, you told me in, in summary. Uh, basically, I uh, was became a truth seeker about a year ago and uh, found a lot about the truth of the the church but uh, it, I had a lot of beliefs that would excuse it would excuse um, the uh, those, those truths and I, I by watching your show I was convinced that uh, they uh, you know I um, needed to be born again and I prayed to God to let me know him and to know his truth and uh, he, uh, you know, three days later, I, you know, I, my heart was soft, softened. I um, didn't, um, you know, the beliefs melted away from my mind and the truths were just brightly lit up in my mind. And I, I knew from, from that my heart was changed. My mind was, you know, opened and my eyes could see what was really there. And um, that was the day I knew I was born again. It was a rough road from then, but you know things have been getting better and better. The Lord's been working in my life, and I just praise Him. I, I love Him with all my heart, and I know that uh, you know I am saved, and and I'm trying to share that with others as I go on. That is just awesome. So, um, <clears throat> Ryan, you speak in terms, you speak in metaphysical terms that anybody who's been born again can relate to. When you say, I know I've been born again, you said that you prayed that God would take over your life. And then you, three days later, you're sitting at lunch in, uh, yeah. at your work? Yes. Yeah. And uh, then you know. Yeah, I, I didn't expect it. I just start, started thinking about the Lord and over, uh, overwhelming power of love just broke down the shells of my heart. And I, I couldn't deny that the Lord was there, lo loved me, and I had a new spirit and... Um, I know that that was on the right path and he had changed me. Praise God. So when people want to know, how, how am I born again? 
I try to articulate it here on the show, and sometimes I fail and fumble all over. How, what would you say would be, I mean, there's not a formula to it because the Lord works through everybody differently. Yeah. But what would you say? What would you share with people to help them understand what you did? To just, what, did you give everything up? Did you turn it to God? What, what do you think? I did. I, I was praying, you know, for a month before to find, I asked God, you know, I was having hardships in, um, emotionally trying to be spiritual. And I said, God, I need to know your truth. And um, I started watching your show. I found it, found your show, started watching it after a couple of weeks. And I, I just, uh, it was just, uh, you know, an amazing answer to my prayers. Um, and um, it was hard because I felt like I was going to become a son of perdition or something and <laughs> be cast out for, you know, turning to these ideas. But um, I knew that I, because of the Lord, he was able to lead me you know, to, to his um, love and, and changing my heart. So Praise God. Well, this is the invitation we hope all of you will take. Do what Ryan did, and that is um, just give your life over. Say, I'm willing to seek. Lord, you give me the answers. I'm not going to listen to Sean McCraney. I'm not going to do you, Go to the Lord and say, I need truth. And open up my eyes and heart, and uh, he'll give it to you. Ryan, thanks so much. Thank God you. bless you. Really appreciate thanks. it. Thanks. I want to tell you all something, uh, really from the bottom of my heart. I am a very blessed man uh, to be uh, involved. My life is uh, abundant with blessings because of you and this ministry. Um, the Lord has placed me in a position to see and experience things that you just can't make up. You, you can't buy. You can't script. Last Saturday, we had an absolutely fantastic time at our second annual open water baptism in Cache Valley. Around 90 people attended, and uh, from as far as... California and uh, Cedar City, and 17 of those 90 were uh, baptized, not into a church, not into a man's name, but because they have come to know a saving, uh, true and saving relationship through Jesus Christ, and they wanted to express this relationship through uh, baptism. What a blessing. We had a photographic uh, preview to show you tonight, but we just, I just had a technical uh, notice that the photographs won't work tonight. But after the baptism uh, in Logan, we gathered at CNL's home in Cache Valley. We enjoyed some wonderful food and fellowship. We thank CNL for their great support of the ministry and the love they have for people longing to know Jesus. Then yesterday, I was invited to go to uh, South part of Utah Valley, Spanish Fork area, and meet with three couples, six people, who have all been on a journey out of Mormonism in one way or another. Uh, Eldon, Jody, Doug, Arlene, Chris, and Lana. And uh, we met at this gorgeous home that Chris had built. And after talking for a while, we went outside into the pool and uh, I had the honor of baptizing each of them. And some of them told me how they were ready to walk from religion altogether. And others talked about how they had suffered with doubts in Mormonism for years and years. But Jesus has been received by them. They are on the path that they know is a relationship with him. And their abandoned ship letters have been sent. And entire generations are going to be changed for the good. Because these people had the courage to step out. And people like you who continue to do the same. So... Um, <clears throat> Now, I was thoroughly blessed to be able to baptize all these people and meet them and know them. It's such an honor. And each of you have a permanent place in my heart. But there was one moment for me that struck true to the heart of our ministry, and it happened up in Logan. After the last man was baptized, standing on the shore, 
there was a boy holding a towel, and he, I guess the man that we baptized was his dad. And this boy was probably about 11 years old, and uh, this is him. He had a mohawk that was painted green, and uh, he stood there, and I said to him, Hey, are you coming out? And he smiled, and, and he said, No way. And I said, Okay, then. And then all of a sudden, he sort of jumped up with this great exuberance, and he said, I want to. And he came running out into the water like a wild pony. And uh, this boy is a boy after my own heart because he physically represents kind of how I felt inside as a kid, even kind of how I feel inside now. And we took a minute out there in the water, and I was able to speak to him about what he was doing. And uh, we pointed out that all the people were sitting around him there's a bridge crossed over right at this picture, and there were uh, you know, about 100 people looking down on him. And I had him take a minute and look at all those people. And I told him that, he, that they were witnesses to his commitment in his life to follow Jesus, to put Jesus first in his life. And he, saw, he smiled brightly and said he was ready to take the step. And, uh, and a good friend of our ministry, Sean, took that picture. At our Sunday Bible study, he showed up the next day with his father, uh, uh, Ton, who had been baptized, his sister, uh, who had been baptized, and his mother, who brought him to church. And he had his Bible in his hand. And uh, the Lord is at work, my friends. And uh, we praise him and his, him alone for the lives he's changing throughout Utah. So with that, let's uh, have a prayer. <clears throat> God, we uh, need you now. We pray uh, for your guiding hand in this uh, program. We pray for our technical staff, uh, the machinery, uh, our volunteers, the callers, our audience here and uh, wherever they may be. We pray for our YouTube audience and that this message will be able to have an effect on their lives as we seek to reach people for you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is perhaps no issue that has more tenaciously attached itself to Mormonism, past and present, than the doctrine and practice of polygamy. And while we have discussed it before here on this program, our reviews have for the most part been limited to the prophet Joseph Smith introducing polygamy, secretly practicing polygamy, and then what happened to the women that he wed after he died. Tonight we're going to embark on a more extensive look at the LDS practice of polygamy, and we're going to pick it up from the death of Joseph Smith all the way out to the present day. I firmly believe two things can and will occur through our presentation, if you are willing. First, I believe that the information that we're going to cover over the next several weeks is going to blow you away. If you just open your mind and listen to the whole matter. <clears throat> Secondly, I personally think that if you are a female member of the church, you cannot, if you truly listen to the information presented, consciously continue to believe that the LDS leaders were inspired by God in the construction of this practice, and therefore in the construction of most everything else that they claim to have come from his mouth. Thomas Hobbes, a great mind of ancient past, not ancient past, but relatively ancient, uh, once said something to the effect that, quote, organized religion is like a large pill and if swallowed, <clears throat> excuse me, it will cure many pains. But if chewed up before being swallowed, will only cause a person to regurgitate. We hope this information that will cause you, we hope you will take it and chew on it before you swallow it whole. 
and that the end result will be wholesale regurgitation of these man-made beliefs. There has always been present this salacious idea, but understandable idea, that the primary purpose behind Mormon polygamy was lust, meaning, meaning uh, lots of chicks. Uh, I think this idea needs some clarification. Where Mormon polygamy, polygamy may have initiated uh, by lust on the part of Joseph Smith, he once said, quote, when I look upon a pretty woman, I can only pray for grace. The practice, by the time it became open and acceptable in Utah, <clears throat> was far more utilitarian, far more pragmatic, purposeful, and doctrinally based. In either case, women have always been treated as chattel. In Brigham Young and John Taylor's Utah, polygamy was out in the open and even promoted as a means for an LDS man to reach a greater state of glory. Joseph Smith kept the practice hidden throughout his entire life, with the exception of sharing it only with people who, quote, could bear it, meaning only those who could keep it secret. Like many, many things LDS, Joseph publicly denied his ever having more than one wife, while privately practicing it with at least 33 females. I say females because women would not be appropriate uh, an appropriate title because Joseph secretly married females of all childbearing ages, including several teenagers, very young teenagers. In order to keep the practice secret, Ebenezer Robinson, who was approached with the opportunity to embrace polygamy in Nauvoo, Illinois, said a secret location existed 12 miles outside the city where impregnated plural wives were sent in order to keep them from the eyes of inquisitive Gentiles. And while Joseph didn't restrict himself to single women, he married a number of other men's wives. Not all women approached with the invitation to practice polygamy with him accepted it. There was an uh, LDS leader by the name of Orson Pratt uh, who had a wife at the time named Sarah Pratt. Sarah ultimately left Mormonism and Orson. Sarah was propositioned by Joseph Smith to become his wife while married to Orson Pratt. In an 1886 interview, she said, quote, Joseph used to state to his intended victims, as he did to me, God does not care if we have a good time, if only other people do not know it. She continued, quote, he only introduced a marriage ceremony when he found out he could not get certain women without it. If any women like me opposed his wishes, he used to say, quote, be silent or I shall ruin your character. My character must be sustained in the interest of the church. If and when Joseph was confronted by those who wanted to investigate the principle of polygamy, as it came to be known, he would vehemently deny it. On May 26, 1844, Joseph said in a public response to accusations that he was practicing polygamy, quote, William Law swears that I have committed adultery. I wish the grand jury would tell me who they are, meaning the wives' names. I am tired of fools asking me. A man asked me if the commandment was given that another man may have seven wives. I am innocent of these charges. What a thing it is to say for a man to be accused of committing adultery and having seven wives when I can only find one. I am the same man as innocent as I was 14 years ago, and I can prove them all perjurers, end quote. 
When Joseph said, uh, made this public statement, it's true that he did not have seven wives. He had at least 33 at the time. Even LDS historians acknowledge this as fact today. After Smith was killed and the saints headed west, Mormon polygamy began to break from the shadows and find broad acceptance under the desert sun here in Utah. Like Jim Jones after him, who in the jungles of Guyana forced his doctrines upon people, Brigham Young, once he got the saints secluded from the rest of civilization by 800 miles in any direction, made plural marriage the standard for faithful living, for following the prophet, for being obedient to God, and for true exaltation of a man. It all started becoming publicly accepted when in 1851, Brigham Young made his first public reference to the principle when he mentioned his wives from the pulpit. This had never been done before. Travelers and Gentiles passing through this territory would report seeing unusual living arrangements, which ultimately led the Mormons to finally admitting the practice more openly and in public. Finally, in 1852, five years after the Mormons arrived in Salt Lake City, Joseph Smith Jr.'s revelation on plural marriage, which he received from God in 1853, nine years earlier, but practiced it well before, was published and embraced here in Utah. Now, the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants has a revelation from Joseph Smith that he said he received from God that actually condemned polygamy and plural marriage and promoted monogamy as God's only way. In time, however, this revelation from God was removed from the Doctrine and Covenants and replaced with Joseph's more advanced revelation on matrimony, which in my mind can be called the Lots of Chicks Doctrine. So what is really behind the Lots of Chicks Doctrine found in Mormonism? Why this focus on multiple wives? What would drive a man to take on more than one woman uh, to care for, to love, and to listen to? Uh, sorry, Mary. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. No emails, please. From a fleshly male perspective, polygamy might appear beneficial for the following reasons. I thought about this. Why would I want to practice polygamy? Well, it might make me feel powerful. It might make me feel young and moving and virile. It could make me, the man, the center of attention to many females instead of the attentions of just one, which would just stoke my pride like no other. It would help me play God here on earth, king over a large group. It would give me a variety of in the flesh. I could pit my wives against each other and get them to get mad at each other and then love me, come to me for attention. I could impregnate more, impregnate more than one woman, again feeling more powerful, more virile, more alive. I could corral them into a giant workforce and make more money. I could not be beholden to a single woman. I wouldn't have to answer to one. I could answer to none because they're all uh, below me. I could be served by more hands than two. All of these reasons might be seen beneficial to a man who wants to practice polygamy. However, as a father of three daughters, I have to ask, what is the benefit to females? And is this the way God would want his children to live? Would I want my daughters to marry into a polygamous family? Would I want, and what, what does that say about my view of women and my view of my daughters? 
would I, uh, in order to fully understand Mormonism, we have to go back a ways. Now, this going back is really important because if you understand how polygamy was ultimately justified doctrinally and theologically, you'll also understand why Mormonism today, Salt Lake City Mormonism today, has not apologized for the practice in the past, has not removed the doctrine presently, and how it believes the doctrine has a place in the future for all faithful LDS men. The Lots of Chicks Doctrine. From a biblical perspective, monogamy is logical, not polygamy. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth from the earth, and from the earth, he created Adam. He and from Adam, he formed one woman, one. Not two, three, or 53 women, he formed one. Adam had a full rib cage when God left and was done creating a helpmeet for him. Theologically, monogamy also makes sense within the confines of the Bible and how Christians understand what marriage is and what it isn't. Marriage is very clearly laid out. It is not the end all of human existence. In fact, in many places in the Bible, it's not even recommended. There were prophets in the Old Testament who God said, do not marry. The LDS will say marriage is the most important thing you will do. Where in the Bible, there were even prophets who God said don't. Jesus set marriage in proper order uh, in Matthew 22 uh, when he said that people, quote, in the resurrection, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. In Luke 20, Jesus uh, shed further light on the function and scope of marriage when he said, listen to this. The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they shall be accounted worthy. They which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. In other words, while marriage is ordained of God, it is a good permissible thing. According to Jesus, it is an institution for earth life and not an aspect of post-resurrection life. Paul who was single, wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 9. Listen to this now. For I would that all men were even as I myself am. But each has his proper gift from God, one according to this manner and another according to that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn. This biblical Christian view of this earthly institution of marriage is far afield from the revised LDS view Joseph Smith presented. Where Jesus said children of this world marry and are given in marriage, Mormonism makes marriage in some senses their God. The end all, the highest state of human existence because it's only within the state of the celestial marriage occurring in their temples that a couple can go on and procreate as gods in the hereafter. Marriage, the ceiling, is uh, vitally important to them. This view must be understood on becoming God before we can truly reason with the practice and purpose of polygamy and all things that went along with it. Next week, we are going to talk about this becoming God process and help you understand the, the pre-existence and all these things so that we can lay the foundation for understanding why 
these guys would take on so many wives and leave them destitute, miserable, lonely, in squalor, and go off and just grab another one and convince her of the same. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820-973-TV20. First-time callers, please, LDS callers, if possible, have your questions or comments ready. And uh, we're going to run our spot now for our partners program. We hope if you haven't become a partner that you might consider doing it now. Thank you. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Aletheia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. We're back. Welcome. Hey, I got an email while the operators are clearing the calls. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. I got an email from, actually, LB called the show last week but didn't want to come on the air. The question he has is, what are the detriments, Sean, of being LDS? This is really quite an interesting question. Um, The detriments of being LDS. Well, some, if this person is LDS who presents the question, they might be saying, there's no detriments to being LDS. Look at all the good that, it, that comes from being a Mormon. And from an earthly perspective, if, this, if there is no afterlife and there is no heaven and the Bible is a joke, then Mormonism is just the best, probably the best institution on earth. Because it's orderly, they use your tithes well in building things and keeping everybody united. They have a good welfare program. Their families, they, they push this families can be together for everything. That, that whole, all that stuff is pretty good present day. Old dot time, maybe not. But if there is an afterlife, and if the Bible is true, then we have a lot of problems. Um, first, being taught myths and fiction from men is a detriment. LB, when you are told that uh, the Pearl of Great Price and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants were all revelations from God and that God continues to receive revelation and that revelations had been received from prior prophets that, that black people couldn't hold the LDS priesthood and that, that polygamy was a, a doctrine that you had to obey in order to become a God, that you can become a God. Uh, these things are problematic, that you have to... Uh, embrace a theology that ultimately, because it is based on works, it engenders pride in the heart of the people who embrace it fully. When you have a doctrine that says you have to, by your works and worthiness, uh, become better and better in God's eyes, and you're successful at that, there's an automatic response to look at others who have failed in that area and think you're better than them. That pride is engendered in a doctrine or a theology that's based in works. Now, when you have a doctrine that is based in grace, which is God's plan, which is amazing, men couldn't have come up with it, this makes the the playing field completely flat. 
because it's not of works. It's nothing that we can do. It's what he did, and it's just by virtue of responding to his call. Faulty concepts about God, that God was once a man, that Jesus was born of a relationship between God and, and Mary, that Jesus uh, is our elder brother, that Satan is our spiritual brother. All these things add up to detriments in being a Latter-day Saint. The bondage that comes from the system and rules and expectations of dress and appearance, that pride factor, that is a detriment to the hearts of so many people. So we could go on and on, but I hope that would be enough. Those types of things that come with a system that demands performance for you to be accepted. We're going to go to Randy in Salt Lake City, first-time caller in just a second. Uh, one more. This was interesting. Harry Lord from Eastern Idaho wrote, and he said, I watched a caller on a past episode uh, talk about the wine Joseph Smith used, and it was probably grape juice, he says. I hear this a lot when talking to folks about the wine mentioned in the Bible. Here's what I found out. Grapes have a yeast which occurs on their skin naturally, which causes all grape juice to ferment. A man named George Welch, Welch developed a way to stop this natural fermentation from happening specifically to grape juice so it could be used in Christian communion. Until then, all grape juice was at least partially fermented. George Welsh did his work in 1869, so any grape juice consumed by Joseph Smith would have been at least partially fermented. That just takes that little argument and throws it right out the window. Let's go to Randy in Salt Lake City, first time caller. Randy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Suki, Suki, Sean, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. What did you say? Suki, uh, Suki, Sean. How are you, Randy? Pretty good. How you been? I haven't seen you in a while. Your hair's looking nice. Thanks. So what's happening? <laughs> so uh, you're doing an article on uh, polygamy, right? Yeah, we're, we're going to start to talk about polygamy, Randy. Yeah, and uh, along with the other reasons, it would also be economically viable to have multiple wives. Yeah, I mentioned that. You can put them to work and start making more money. Uh, not that, not that. What? Randy's taking a uh, drag on his marijuana right now. Hello? You're on the air, Randy. Oh, my phone was having problems. Okay. You it, know what they said, pick up sticks, Don. Yeah, you know, I can't understand you. Any final comment or question? Oh, uh, you know, praise the Lord. Raise your, raise the roof, Don. All right, Randy, you broke the cardinal rule of Heart of the Matter. I got to let you go. And you know what that cardinal rule is, don't you, folks? No smoking pot before you call Heart of the Matter. <laughs> All right, we got an email before we go to Dino in Murray. It says, Brother, I am uh, also an ex-Mormon and now truly born-again Christian, but I'm sorry, I don't believe in creatio ex nihilo. And, um, you know, when you used to be LDS, this is one of the doctrines that takes a while to get rid of. The LDS, uh, Joseph Smith taught that God himself cannot create something out of nothing. And this goes back to the father without a father without a father, father, this eternal regression of gods. Well, Joseph taught that God cannot take and suddenly poof, material exists. He had to take pre-existent material to form the earth, to form the dust, to make you and I. Nothing, no material could 
exist out of nowhere. Now, I know your question is, well, where did it come from? They don't answer that, but Joseph taught God cannot create material. And so Mormons just tacitly and automatically reject the idea of creatio ex nihilo, which is that God created the earth out of nothing. All right. And um, this is one that is hard to, to die in a Latter-day Saint's mind. So is the idea of a pre-mortal existence. So is the idea of a Trinitarian concept of God. Those three are very difficult for Latter-day Saints to finally get. The way you're gonna, it's going to help you understand creatio ex nihilo, um, uh, Marcel, is to read the Bible. Go through, read the Word, and just get see what the Word says about God, who He is, where He came from, who he calls and answers to, and how he kind of exists and what he does. When you read through that Bible without the Mormon uh, uh, coloring that goes with it, but you just read that Bible now that you're a Christian, those things will begin to drain away. And uh, when it says in John that uh, he created all things, that means all things. And we don't have to play this philosophical game that it was created from other material. Where did that material come from? Somewhere in that line, God created everything from nothing. Let's go to Dina and Murray. Uh, and we got Rain Hawaii. That's awesome. Dino, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Um, hey, I just wanted to bring up, uh, um, uh, touch on the topic about this marriage um, thing. You know, uh, I really kind of get the impression that marriage is um, an archetype of what Christ does uh, with the church. Um, I think it's uh, uh, very symbolic uh, in, in that facet. Uh, you find many prophets that uh, were not married. Um, uh, Jeremiah was told that he would not take a wife. Yeah. And that his service was totally to the Lord. Right. And he was uh, totally married to the Lord. Right. And um, uh, you find that throughout uh, uh, scriptures. Uh, many of them uh, didn't. And you even have Hosea that was commanded to take a harlot as yeah. a wife breath um, of the unfaithfulness to Israel Yeah, in that marriage. Marriage didn't, uh, need, marriage didn't have that much of a meaning in that case, did it? Well, it, it actually... It well, did. I mean, it did, but symbolically. Well, yeah, symbolically it had a huge meaning uh, because, you know, it, it goes to show the unfaithfulness even of the Christian church. Yeah. Uh, uh, we are very unfaithful in our duties uh, to our husbands as a church, and... Um, uh, I, I think uh, that goes to show, you know, I'm going to jump over to this. It seems like everybody puts so much stock into marriage. It's almost like a prerequisite um, to live in society. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of Mormons, and, you know, their ultimate goal is to get married. That's the finishing point of life. Yeah. But it's the same with Christians. I know many Christians that uh, put so much stock into just... Um, uh, finding the, the mate, getting married, and, um, you know, uh, fulfilling this uh, empty, shallow dream yeah. uh, that everyone has uh, painted. Yeah. And ultimately, if you're married to Christ, then your your service goes to Him. And how can you serve two masters? Right. I mean, if you're going to be married, it makes it very difficult to serve the Lord in its fullest capacity. Well, Paul lays it out pretty quickly, pretty readily. He says, look, it. If, if, you, if, you, if you're going to burn in your flesh, get married. That's what he says. If yes. there's people who aren't, he says, it's better that you were like me. And you just devote your life to the service of bringing others in. There's nothing wrong with marriage. It was instituted by God. It's a great thing. But yes. it is not for everybody. Yeah. And it's also not to be 
put on a pedestal higher no. than God. No, never, never. All right, Absolutely. great call. I really appreciate it. Thanks, hey, Dino. John, I appreciate you, buddy. God, God bless. bless talk, talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Hey, we have uh, someone ask, what about the patriarchs that practice polygamy? This is from Jay. Well, in the Bible, we know that polygamy was instituted by uh, Lamech, and that was a son of uh, Cain, and that, that was where the practice began. When patriarchs, uh, well, we talk about Abraham, okay, and that was, Abraham's the big model for Mormons. Abraham had more than one wife. We're going to follow the Abrahamic covenant, they call it. First of all, remember, whose idea was it for Abraham to take another wife? It was his wife's, Sarah, because the promise God gave Abraham was not being fulfilled. And they grew impatient and they said, God, you're not doing it. We're going to take it into our own hands. And that's a perfect model of what polygamy is. We're going to take matters into our own hands and kind of do something our way. But it was not so from the beginning. You will never find God in the Old Testament telling somebody, take other wives. But he does allow people to do things. He allows us to make uh, uh, our choices. And in almost every single case, when polygamy is instituted, um, it's a disaster. The end result is disaster. God's way, one man, one woman, was not. But this multiple thing turned out in pain. What happened to Hagar, that extra wife that was brought in, by the way? As soon as, uh, as, soon as uh, Isaac came along, Sarah took her and booted her out, and she was laying there almost ready to die in the desert. It was God who intervened and cleaned up that mess. So never do you see polygamy the result of God. It's always the result of men. Let's go to Ray in Hawaii, line four. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, all right, man. I love your show. Mahalo, Ray. Yeah, mahalo. <laughs> He's like that right. idiot. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, I had a couple more of the missionaries come to my door, and uh, they said something interesting. Um, they said that, that the LDS Church is Christ's church of the last dispensation. Yeah. So what I was wondering is, is there anywhere in the Bible... It talks about Christ's church of the last dispensation or the last days church. Well, the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head, Ray, is where Jesus said, I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That when Jesus said the law and the prophets were fulfilled in John, uh, when we know that the, when all the apostolic witnesses of Christ's ministry were killed off, that stopped the recording of Scripture. I think this kind of seals it up. Joseph Smith, they misinterpret scripture that says there is going to be a falling away and that there needs to be a restoration and they take that as meaning Jesus' church. And that falling away will happen, but it's happening at the time of the, of the Antichrist in the last days and it's a complete misapplication of those verses. They are dispensationalists. They're huge on that, and that means there's these epochs of time. Interestingly enough, Islam believes that Muhammad was the last, pro uh, the last prophet. Jesus was a good man, but Muhammad came and had to finish up what Jesus really couldn't. Same thing with the Mormons. Jesus came and did his deal, but what he did just couldn't last, could it? Joseph had to come in and fix it and put it on the right course again. It's always that way. But in terms of a reference, I don't really have one off the top of my head. I don't know if there is one where it says Jesus is the last dispensation. His church is built on the last dispensation. Any scholars in the audience, no one, call it out. There's, um, there's one thing that I heard, uh, I've heard a couple of pastors talking about with the uh, seven churches in Revelation being yeah. like a, t a timeline. And that, um, so that's 
kind of what came to my mind. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. So I was yeah. kind of wondering. That's and I think, those, I think those seven churches are representative of, uh, of different phases that the uh, Bride of Christ has gone through. We are in the Laodicean period right now, which is the time of lukewarmness where it says men are going to love their own mouths and what they say, their itching ears, more than the Word of God. And we can see that happening. Prior to that was the Church of Philadelphia. And, and all these things seem to play out what was happening in the church. And we are at the seventh church, I think. Are we at the seventh church, Ray? I, I, I think so, yeah. I think yeah. we're in the, the latter-day time says, yeah. period. Yeah, Mar uh, Marcus, our resident scholar, says we are. So, uh, yeah, I think that you can pull some parallels from that. But you might have to do a little bit more in-depth study. And off the top of my head, I can't give you any more than what we've given you. All right, man. Cool. Thanks for taking my call. All right. God bless you, Ray. All right. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to Ken in Chicago. Ken, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. I have a quick question about the Holy of Holies in the Salt Lake Temple. Yeah. Uh, what is it? <laughs> you know, when I was on a mission, I swear I had at least two maybe three, two or three companions that swore the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron budding, was in the Holy of Holies in Salt Lake Temple. And that the prophet actually went in there and he would, it was there on the mercy seat, would actually talk to God. And I swear these guys believed it. And I kind of believed it too. I don't know what's in the Holy of Holies there. I don't know. All right. Because... I just watched the, uh, the PBS special on the Mormons uh, recently. Yeah. I took it off from the library. And um, I was listening to Gordon B. Hinckley a little while that he was still alive, obviously. And he said something of the effect of when talking about the blacks and the priesthood and coming to that decision, that him and his fellow counselors had this feeling. And I was thinking if he had this holy of holies, why couldn't he just, you know, go to God and ask him in person? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's it. Really. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, talk, how he describes that process, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, that this feeling overcame them, that it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's about it. Uh, okay, Ken. Thanks so much. God bless. All right, bye. Bye-bye. We're going to John and Lewiston. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. John. Yeah. You're on the air. you got to turn your TV down, buddy. Okay, turn it down, Karen. Is this Sean? This okay. is. All right, Sean. Um, I do have a question for you, but... Uh, uh, before I get to that, I want to tell you that my, my wife and I attended your baptism service in Logan last Saturday. We met you and shook hands with you on the railroad tracks there, and we enjoyed that very much. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it too, John. You bet. Uh, my question is, uh, Joseph Smith was uh, tarred and feathered, uh, and the Mormons proclaim that to be, uh, as I understand it, uh, a uh, uh, due to um, his doctrinal uh, stands and 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 as I've read about Joseph, uh, I think uh, from what I understand, it was because of sexual relations with women and their families of the women uh, actually are the ones that tarred and feathered them. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. He was staying with, I think it was the Johnson family. I could be wrong on the last name at the time. He and his wife were living with them. And uh, he was having a dalliance with the Johnson daughter, who was 17 years old. Uh, it was from the Johnson home that he was dragged out. And the Johnson uh, girl's brother was one of the people involved in that tar and feathering. 
and uh, they also chipped his tooth trying to make him drink some poison. And at that point, they were going to castrate him. And, and, uh, and there was a doctor there, there to do it. And so you have to say, why would they want to castrate the guy if he was, uh, it, was it was just because he came up with a Book of Mormon, you know? But the LDS don't tell you that stuff about the castration. They don't tell you that. They just say that poor Joseph, he was dragged from his home because he was the prophet of God and he was beaten. And the next morning, after all night long, they scraped that tar and stuff off. He showed up at church and he looked at some of the very men in the audience of the congregation who helped tar and feather him with love. But, you know, uh, bottom line, history, I think, shows that Joseph got himself in trouble and he snuck out of that one and it had nothing to do with him uh, being a religious uh, whatever. Yeah. All right? All right. Hey, hey Sean, we uh, watch your show every week and we enjoy it very much. Thanks so much, John. God bless you, man. Thank you. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Bye. James in West Valley City on line three. James, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. Um, my question is, why do Mormons use water for the sacrament? Is it just because wine has alcohol? Because it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, that happened. Uh, oh, when did it happen officially? I think it happened officially like in the 19, early uh, 20th century, like 1920 or something, if memory serves. Uh, they used to have, serve wine, and they used to serve it in a single goblet and pass it around, and everybody took a sip. Um, but they went to water, and I think, again, this is just conjecture. If someone knows, call and tell us. But I think it's in the same response that they had to the cross. Catholicism was taking a stronger hold here in Utah once the railroads connected, and the cross of Catholicism was... Uh, was they needed to separate themselves from that and so they wanted to go to steeples and I think the wine used in the Catholic communion was abhorrent to them too and so they went to water. Now I believe that it's just another form of that word we've come up with, twistianity. I mean you just, you just, you just go from you know an unleavened piece of bread to represent a man without sin and you go with wine to represent his blood even if it's grape juice that's wine and, and you go to white wonder bread and water, you completely kind of dissimmer the whole thing down. And yes, you are different. You've twisted it. But that's how much this, the, the communion means to them. Now, I realize there's nothing in the elements, but still there is symbolism that is so important. And I think it's lost when they drink their water. Just to let the audience know, if you didn't know, Latter-day Saints on Sundays, they all take their communion. It's called their sacrament. And at that time, what they're doing is they're renewing their covenants that they made when they were baptized with God. And each week they are forgiven of their sins in that seven-day increment when they take that, that water and bread in remembrance of what Jesus did for them. It's a seven-day cleanse. And then at, throughout the week, the other things they do wrong, when they return to sacrament and take that sacrament again, it cleanses them again. And that's how it works. All right. Thanks, Sean. All right, man. You take care. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, I have something on our uh, mic clock. It says, The Final Dissertation on Polygamy the, by Ron, who's LDS. Anyone have an idea what that means? Me either. Ron, call back and tell us. I have a question here from Ruth. Why do you say we're not Christian when we use and love the Bible? Um, first of all, you take this holy book that you say you use and love, and you say it can't be trusted. Your eighth article of faith says we believe the Bible to be the we, we believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God, 
We believe the Bible to be the word of God so far as it's translated correctly. So then you keep telling kids that and they get to be teenagers and they read something in here that says we're saved by grace, not by our works. And they say to their seminary teacher, how come it says this in the Bible? And the seminary teacher, that's not translated correctly. And so they say, oh. And so what you do, what Joseph did in order to make the Book of Mormon acceptable is he said, you can't trust this. You know, if Joseph has said you can trust this completely, he could never have offered a counterfeit gospel. So you say, we believe the Bible. It's one of our four standard works. We've, we, we carry it hand in hand in a quad, one book with our Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price. It's all one. But you, you, this is a bastard child to you, you know? And my argument is if you have the missionaries come over, say, okay, missionaries, let's read, um, let's read Ephesians. And as we read through, I want you to tell me what verses we can't trust. And we'll just keep those out. And let's just read through and see what the Bible has to say about what your soteriology is. And you'll be able to show them that they are just errant according to what the Bible says. So that's the first thing, you know, it's a highly selective approach. Secondly, you know, I was in the church 40 years and when they teach the Bible, they don't teach the Bible. What they do is they teach Mormonism as seen through the Bible. They'll go through a chapter like um, Psalms 119, the longest book in the Bible, and it's like 146 verses long, and they'll cover it in the first 10 minutes of one of their lessons. I mean, and they'll hit on something that might say like, Yonder heavens. See, yonder heavens. It says that right there. Okay, let's go to the next. Any, they just teach Mormonism through the Bible. So you don't really believe the Bible. Now, how can, I, how can I say that? Come to a Bible teaching church. Go into any Bible teaching church and just sit down and listen. And you're going to hear the Bible taught. And you're going to hear it contextually taught and, and linguistically represented in all these different areas. And you'll see, wow, we really do not trust or like this Bible. So I hope that answers your question. I think it's grossly misinterpreted. And I think that you use the Bible as a facade. It's really interesting. I, it terrifies me, actually. You go online to the major websites, these major places where a lot of money and, and a lot of traffic goes through, and the LDS Church on almost every one of those has an ad. And in that ad, it says, get back to the basics. Get a Bible from the LDS Church. You click on it, they send you a Bible, and the missionaries show up a few days later and tell you you can't trust it. Uh, okay, this says, isn't, isn't it interesting that Mormons worship the wrong Christ, the Antichrist, more of a comment? Um, we got to tell whoever's writing these cryptic notes, I need more. I don't understand what they're telling me. So um, I don't know what you mean. It, it, I know they do worship the wrong Christ in the sense of who he is uh, in many ways. But the Antichrist, I don't understand that connection. All right. This says, Dear Sean from Mark, I am LDS. I've been watching your show for the past six months. I've learned a lot about the origin doctrines of the church. I'm convinced that it does not contain the gospel. Anyway, my point of these, this email is your show has convinced me that the LDS church is lacking, but now, to an extent, my faith in Jesus is in question. Who's to say that Jesus was not a Joseph Smith figure uh, who was a mundane ministry and quickly glorified by his writers? Uh, and he goes on to ask questions about that. He says, I don't want to abandon this faith altogether. But then again, I don't want to end up just shackling my mind to a slightly different uh, myth. Um, how can I know the truth? And it's probably one of the most off-asked questions besides why do we do what we do? And uh, let me tell you, Mark, from the bottom of my heart, what you've experienced is the LDS scorched earth policy. And what that means is they have told you from cradle to your present existence that the LDS church is true and everything else is false. 
and now you've done your homework and you found out that it's false. And so you look around and you say, everything else must be a joke too. And you're burnt. Your whole faith system is burned to the ground and it's understandable. And um, the best advice I can say is not trust me and not trust another church, no other denomination, no liturgy, but just go to your maker. He tells us in his word, you have that right to come to him and to go to your maker, you and him, and say, look it, I don't know if anything's true. I don't even know if you exist. You are a mystery to me. Jesus is a mystery. I don't know if he's a myth. I have all these scholars now on TV, on the History Channel and Discovery Channel that said his whole history was made up. And then I have all these preachers saying that he's real. What is the truth? And then to say, I will do, I will go wherever you lead me, but I want truth. And that's kind of what Ryan said when he sat here. He said he went to God and said, I, I just want to know the truth. And three days later, he had his eyes open. The best way to tell that God is working in your life is a change in perspective. You suddenly see, and Jesus talked about eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that feel are converted and are then healed. This is the process that God does. Now, just to make a clarification, he doesn't do this through feelings usually. You can have some kind of emotional response to things, but what he does is he sets up doors to open and doors to close. And you might be contemplating on, is Jesus real? And you get on a bus and you sit next to someone who says, do you know who Jesus is? And you say, wow, in fact, someone told me this the other day. That's a coincidence. Jody told me this. That's a coincidence. And then you go through your life and another, that's a coincidence. And then that's a coincidence. And pretty go, that's not a coincidence. That's God working in your life. That's how he answers you. He sets up and he puts things in your path to answer you. So don't look for this metaphysical, you know, oh, but just look for him working in your life, clearing it up. We're going to Marie and Logan. First time caller. Going to try to take it before we end. Marie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Marie, I can barely hear you. Well, that's because I did it. Go, go ahead. I'm not LDS. Okay. And uh, kind of new to Utah. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to understand Joseph Smith a little bit. Um, I understand he was interested in magic as a young man. And uh, I was wondering if you could tell me if that's true. Hmm. Also, I heard that um, the witnesses to the Golden Tablets mm -hmm. um, recanted. Before they died, or at least one of them did? Marie, we're running out of time. Let me give you two books that will okay. answer both those questions sufficiently. Both written by LDS authors, one now ex-LDS, the other one remains. The first book is um, Insider's View of Mormon Origin by Grant Palmer. He's still LDS. That talks about the witnesses. The second book is uh, Mormonism and the uh, early, is it the Magic Worldview? Mormonism and the Magic Worldview by D. Michael Quinn. And that will answer everything you want to know about Joseph Smith's family and his dabbling in magic. And it will just knock you on your feet. Marie, we're out of time. Thank you for your call. Okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. Listen, join us next week as we continue on to discuss the Mormon view of God becoming gods and how that builds straight into their idea of more wives, more power, more glory for themselves. See you next week. my rusty
Break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break 